Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're considering the first part of that song is peace on earth. As we read our daily newspaper or watch our evening news or even pursue, peruse our social media pieces, not a word we would describe our world today. Whether it's fear of terrorism, fear of refugees, fear of nuclear war with Russia, fear of global warming or, or whatever's going on with Ukraine, so on and so forth, peace seems so far away. It's an elusive dream for many. Did not the angels proclaim, we say, Peace on earth, goodwill to men when Christ was born. We sing of peace on earth. We hear the angels saying peace on earth. And as we open up to chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, we read of the familiar record of the birth of Christ. The Father's plan of redemption, which began before the foundation of the world, was promised immediately after the fall. is prophesied by the prophets and anticipated by all the faithful children of God. has finally become a reality with the birth of of Jesus, of a child. A child shall save them. Now, we all love birth announcements. We love learning for the first time the sex, the name, and size of the baby. We rejoice with the parents as they welcome their child into the world. What a joy it is. And in our passage today, Luke records the angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds who are working in the fields nearby. The announcement at first brings fear, but turns to joy as the next step in redemption moves forward as the shepherds enter stage right. So with that, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14, it is here on the monitor. But again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles and read through it. If you do not have a Bible, please let me know. I'd love to give one to you as you leave today so you can have a copy of God's Word as well. But in Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14, we read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, as we open up your word and we, we read a familiar story, a favorite uh, one that we read each and every year, I pray that it bring new light to us, Lord, that you would share with us again the importance of the incarnation, the impact of Christ coming to earth as a human. Lord, as also as the Son of God. And I pray that you just bless us during this time, open up our minds and hearts to receive your word with gladness and joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we come to this familiar scene of the angels appearing before the shepherds, we can deduce that contrary to some Christmas carols and nativity plays, and even what we sung this morning, Jesus was neither silent nor the angels singing to the shepherds. However, we can be certain of several facts about the birth of Christ. The first one is a real event that happened on a real day in history. 
uh, contrary to what they may say on Twitter, what they may say, scientists and others may say, Jesus was born on a real event that happened on a real day in a real city, in real history, in real time. But it also took place in a real village on earth and was witnessed by real people whose witnesses, whose testimony was captured by, by Luke and by Matthew for posterity. In Luke's gospel, <coughs> excuse me, we recognize the formula of the birth announcement that was also given to Elizabeth. Remember, she was uh, Mar uh, uh, Mary's aunt. She was first given a birth announcement and then, to and then to Mary. We see first the appearance of an angel. We see the re reaction of fear of those who receive or who are receiving the news. We then see the announcement of birth. You are going to give birth. And then a sign of the confirmation of how they know that what the angels are sharing is true. So you see these four signs. Now, this birth announcement to the shepherds follows the same pattern as the first angels. Most likely Gabriel, who appears in verse 10. And he receives the same reaction as the other two times. Fear and troubled hearts. Fear and troubled hearts. Now, I have never seen an angel myself, at least not knowingly. Yet, it seems that in their incarnate form, in their fleshly form, that they can be very terrifying. As you read throughout Scripture, almost every response to the appearance of an angel in Scripture is fear. Now, many times they are mistaken for Yahweh, for God himself. But they, these angels quickly dispel these thoughts and point out that their mission is to reclaim a message from God. To give direction or declare a warning. The writer of Hebrews 13.2 does instruct us, though, not to neglect to show hospitality for strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So angel sightings have probably have happened, uh, but not to our awareness. Yet in this case, the shepherds were startled by the sudden appearance of this angel in the night as they go about their work of guarding the sheep. When Luke writes that the glory of the Lord shone around them, <coughs> this is describing more than just a bright light that lit up the sky, but a, the very presence of Yahweh himself. You might recall from our series on Exodus several years ago how Moses' face reflected the glory of God. In Exodus 34, we read this. I believe it might be on the monitor. That when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets, when we think of the Ten Commandments, in his hand as he came down, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were what? They were afraid to come near him. This is a common occurrence. In Matthew 17, 2, we read that when Jesus was transfigured before uh, Peter, James, and John, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. In Revelation 21, the apostle John describes the new heavens and the earth when he says, I saw no temple in the city of Jerusalem that comes down, for its temple is the Lord Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp of the Lamb. So they're seeing something supernatural. They're, they're seeing not just an angel, but they're seeing the glory of the Lord being shine around. It's not just some light. It's not some, just some type of cosmic thing going on, but it's the very presence of God's glory. Now, what is interesting about this angelic birth announcement 
is that it was not given to the religious or political leaders. It was not at the temple in Jerusalem where you would think that someone would say, here a king is born. But it was given to lowly shepherds in a field near a small village of no consequence. Again, this is part of the Father's plan of redemption. Jesus is born to a humble family. He is born humbly. And he is introduced to the world for the first time to a group of insignificant men. Now, when I say that, I'm not trying to disparage these shepherds or their occupation, but pointing out an ancient worldview. Shepherds in those days were low on the social and economic totem pole. Many times it was done as a part-time job. This is consistent with Luke's gospel as he points out the importance of the lowly and social outcast in God's kingdom. In Luke, he points out many times that Jesus' ministry is going to the outcast, to the social outcast, to the lepers, so on and so forth. So it should not surprise us that the first, pers- first people to hear of the angelic or the, the, the birth of Christ is to lowly shepherds who are just in the field, minding their business, tending their sheep. The angel here proclaims, as we continue on, that the promised son of David, the Messiah, has been born. This is not just some ordinary child. And he is a sign of that confirmation. He describes to them how they will find that child, that that Messiah. He says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, at first first thought, this seems kind of odd confirmation, an odd confirmation. But in reality, it would pinpoint how to identify the child. There were probably not many children born in that night in that small little village of Bethlehem. It was no big metropolis. It was not a big town. It was just a very small village. And especially not any that were lying in a feeding trough of some animals. So in this case, they're narrowing it down. Who is this Messiah? Now, Luke goes on then to describe that this proclamation was followed then by a multitude of a heavenly host praising God. Now, if one angel led to fear, I wonder how, <laughs> what 10,000 would have done to these poor shepherds. Again, it doesn't matter. Luke writes that they were praising God, not necessarily singing. Their praise was simple. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And with those words, the shepherd's fear is turned into worship and rejoicing as they obey the voice of the angel and they seek out the baby. The promised son becomes a reality that turns fear into joy. Now, I want us to move on to understand that there's some spiritual truths that are captured here in this passage. And as we consider how this birth announcement turns fear into joy, how does it turn fear into joy? Well, look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, for the most part, birth announcements in general are good news that bring great joy to family and friends of the parents. But this one is unique in that it's not just good information that people celebrate. It's a proclamation that something special will come because of the birth of the child. Something is coming forth. 
So let's consider three ways, if you're taking notes, three ways that this birth announcement, this good news of the birth of the child, turns fear into joy. Three ways. First, the birth announcement is good news because of who the child is. It's not just the information, but it's telling us who the child is. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel announcement does not name the name of the child, right? Which will come in eight days. His name, he doesn't get named until eight days later. Doesn't really tell us his birth weight and all those things that usually come with it. But rather, he gives us the purpose and identification of who he truly is. This little child born in Bethlehem is the Savior. This points out to the purpose to redeem God's children, the children of God. In Matthew 1.21, in, in Matthew's gospel, the angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus himself told his disciples in Luke 19 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And in Matthew 28, Jesus claimed that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it's what he's come to do is to save his people. Now, this is good news because you and I need a savior, not a life coach, not more self-esteem. We don't need therapeutic moralism. We don't need someone to point a finger at to blame for all of our problems and troubles. We don't need to deny our guilt or to teach us how to hide our shame. We need a savior to rescue us from the very wrath of God and one to earn our righteousness. The Bible informs us that we are in desperate need of a savior. The apostle Paul describes the whole human race when he writes to the church located in Rome that they were all filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, self-deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is describing us. By the way, this is describing even the birth of every child here this morning throughout the world. This is us. But then he goes on to declare, looking here at the monitor, that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He goes on to say, and they all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of this, Paul warns that those who practice such things deserve to die. And that the wages of our sin is death. We need a savior. The world needs a savior. The birth of Christ is good news because he came to complete the father's plan of redemption. It takes us from the fear of God's wrath to the joy of God's forgiveness. But number two, he tells us not only is he a savior, but he's also the Christ, the son, the Christ. This points to his fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. Faithful Israelites have been praying and anticipating the arrival of Yahweh's promised Messiah. 
The Messiah would be the future Jewish king from the Davidic line who is expected to save the Jewish nation and will be anointed to rule the Jewish people as he ushers in his kingdom. This is the one that they have been looking for for centuries. The angel proclaims that the good news that their long wait is finally over and that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, has arrived. In Matthew 3, 2, Jesus begins his earthly ministry by preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He went on to teach about the nature of his kingdom, how one, <coughs> excuse me, how one could enter into the kingdom and the rewards awaiting those who enter into the kingdom. They were to look no further than the manger in Bethlehem. There they would find the promised Messiah, the Christ, the one that they had been looking for. Their fears could be alleviated, alleviated as, as they're now turning to joy. But he also says that this is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And this points to his identity as the Son of God. The Apostle Peter writes to the church of Colossae concerning Jesus. For by him all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen? This is the little baby that they are hearing of this morning, that morning. People would, or Peter, excuse me, would declare that Jesus was the son of the living God. Even the Roman centurion who was charged with watching over Jesus when he was crucified exclaimed when Jesus died, truly this man was the son of God. All of scripture points out that Jesus was truly man, but also truly God. In this way, he was able to endure the very wrath of God that was appointed unto us. His resurrection is evidence that he was God, the second person of the Trinity. And this is good news that turns fear into joy because the plan of redemption could not be accomplished without the incarnation. God becoming flesh. It is this declaration that Jesus is Lord that we read of in all of our scripture reading. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, including those who have rejected him, who have tried to kill him. And denied him. Secondly, as we go back, we learn why this is good news. The first was learning who or why or who the good news is. This one is why is this good news? Look at me at verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. The angels say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That's how we started this morning. We're all looking for peace. The angelic army praises God because peace is brought to an earth that is marked with corruption due to the sinful rebellion of humanity against its creator. Scripture tells us that even the creation today groans waiting for its final redemption when Christ returns. The prophet Isaiah prophesied centuries early, looking here on the monitor in Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is why this is good news, why it can turn fear into joy. Now, this peace that scripture speaks of <coughs> means more than just a quieting of political, national, social, and religious unrest. 
know, there's a time like during the holidays, things seem to cut just a little bit quieter, only to be ramped up when everybody comes back, right? Now, this piece is found in Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Zechariah earlier declared at the birth announcement of his son, who would be John the Baptist, he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, speaking of Jesus. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Fear turned into joy. Pastor John Piper claims, exclaims that peace is spread everywhere this child is received. This peace is the peace that comes from being declared right with God due to the Son of God's redeeming work on the cross. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified, been made right, or been declared right by God, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the peace comes by being declared right by God, by being reconciled, knowing that his wrath will now pass over us. He also writes in Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe even today you might say, I've, I've accepted Christ. I've been following him, but yeah, I struggle. And there are times that I just feel terrible. And I can just feel it in my heart that maybe I'm not saved. This, or maybe God just hates me. God's mad with me. Let me tell you, God says there is no condemnation. God's love has no mixture of wrath or anger. Now, for we, especially if you're a parent or, or married, that's hard to understand. Because our love is always has some mixture of wrath or anger in it. We, 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 we cannot purify that fully on this side of heaven. But our Father can. And he's given us a peace. Reconciliation is final and eternal. And we ought to praise God for this peace. We no longer have to fear God's wrath as disobedient children. But the gracious gift and mercy and love is for those whom he has redeemed. There's no longer any fear of facing an angry God. We are facing a loving Father who yearns for us to come home. Now the third consideration is found in that last clause, verse 14. Look at as the angels proclaim peace. He says, among those with whom he is pleased. Again, among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the Christmas carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, it follows the KJV version, the King James version, of Luke 2.14, which probably most of us are more familiar with, which reads, Peace, goodwill towards man. And that was my question. If God says there's peace towards man, why do we not have peace? However, the ESV has a better translation that we're reading this morning. And that peace that was given at that birth announcement is only for those with whom God is pleased. So the question is, 
Who is God pleased with? If God is only going to give his peace to those with whom he's pleased, then who is that? How do I become one of those that is, he is pleased with? Scripture tells us that God is pleased with this baby in the manger. As he exclaims, not only once, but twice, once at his baptism and second at, at the time at Jesus' transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But that doesn't mean, and I need you to hear me, because <clears throat> this is something that uh, we have mistaken many times. This doesn't mean that he is pleased with all men. And didn't the angels announce that the good news was for all? So does that come with a qualifier? And this is a good question, and it's important for us to consider and understand. This is where we must interpret scripture with other scripture. See, we must agree that the whole world stands before God, a holy God condemned because of our sin and rebellion. God is just and righteous in judging the whole world guilty. And redemption and reconciliation are only found through the work of Jesus Christ and no other. And with those three truths in mind, we can accept the insight of the Puritan preacher John Gill, who writes that this good news and the offer of peace was not, as you see here on the monitor, to every individual of mankind. It was not given to Herod and his court, who were troubled at it, nor to the greater part of the Jewish nation, who when he came to them, received him not, but rejected him as their Messiah. Particularly not to the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, who when they saw him, said, this is the heir, let's kill him and seize on the inheritance. But to all that were waiting for him and were looking for redemption in Israel. That's who the peace was for. That's who the announcement that peace towards those that God has pleased. Those, as John Piper said, those who receive the news of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Pastor John MacArthur clarifies even more when he writes, considering verse 14, that this is not a universal declaration of peace towards all of humanity. And we understand that because we do not see peace. Rather, peace with God as a result of justification. And not justification through, through, through religious works, but a declaration that God has declared us not guilty based on the work of Christ. See, God is pleased with his children, those whom he has chosen for salvation, those whom he has called and justified and one day will be glorified. The writer of Hebrews informs us this, that without faith, remember we define faith as a confident trust in the, in, the, in the person of God, in the person of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is who peace is put upon. This here is the faith that brings fear into worship and rejoicing. We are all made in the image of God, but we are not all children of God. Scripture teaches that first we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Speaking of Christ, it says then 
you will be saved. Then you will follow the adoption of sons. In summary, the angelic pronouncement of Jesus' birth is good news that brings peace to those that accept Jesus as Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. You might have caught on to the phrase like uh, the elders use when we're preaching, teaching, and praying. All things work to the glory of God and are good. This is good news is a great and prime example of that phrase. The Father's plan of redemption serves to glorify God and is for our good. Now, what I want to do here as we get ready to close is we need to do the work first of applying now these truths to our lives. Because just to give you some information, to give you some things of what it means is not enough. Because now you need to take this and you've got to say, well, what is this birth announcement? How is it profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness? How does this help me go about life? How can I too have that type of peace? How can I turn my fear into rejoicing? Scriptures are not just for information, but transformation. So how can the good news within this birth announcement transform your lives? I want to point out two ways that the good news of the birth announcement can transform your life this morning. Number one, the good good news drives away fear. The good news drives away fear fear. Just as the angel encourages the shepherds, do not be afraid, scripture encourages us not to be afraid. Even today, it seems like our world is struck with fear. Political fear, economic fear, cultural fear, climate change fear. Go on, there's a fear going on. There is a phobia. If you disagree with something, they take that word and they add phobia on it to make it fear. Disagreement now is fear. Fear is the word. Seems like it's the engine that drives many decisions. It has pushed many to the brink of despair and despondency. Suicide rates are climbing. Drug use is rampant and anxiety is at an all-time high. Fear is now the milk of the masses. They drink it in. They look for it. We We are inventing new ways to be fearful and putting all sorts of barriers to make us feel safe. Yet sadly, we are fearful of the wrong things. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus warned us not to fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And let me tell you, this is not speaking of Satan or the things of this world, but rather this is speaking of God and his wrath against his rebellious creation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us not to be worried and anxious about what we're going to eat, drink, or wear. But that God will take care of his children. He will grant them peace about those things. God is a good father who knows what we need and knows how to give us good gifts. Like the shepherds in the scene, we need to turn our fear into joy. A joy that trusts in the providential sovereignty of a benevolent father who loves his children. Understanding that whatever we may be going through, whether it's the good times, the bad times, the mountain high or the, or the valley of the shadows of death, is that we need to understand that they are all God's calling for us. So we are to endure all things for the glory of God and for our good. Rejoice and rejoice always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. In all things, I am contented. In all things, give thanks. And number two, not only does good news drive away our fear, but number two, 
good news ushers in peace. This good news ushers in peace. Again, this peace is not speaking of a national political peace. Though it could in one day usher in a form of peace, it will. This peace is a peace that comes as a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that bubbles from within and transforms our inner being. Scripture gives us several promises concerning this peace. Jesus' peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Have a peace, have a calmness in your heart. He has calmed the waves of this world. And we can rest in the sovereignty of God. In 2 Timothy, he says, God has given us, God has gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That self-control means our mind recognizing that no matter what is going on around us, no matter the, the waves or the heat or whatever it might be, is that we are in the providence of God and we can have peace. This peace is powerful enough to quell any fear, dispel any despair or despondency, and drive away anxious thoughts. This peace has a transforming work in three areas, and with this we'll close. First, that peace is with God, as Paul writes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who has, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. So the first thing I want to do is to apply this morning, is I want to exhort you to come to Christ. If you do not know Christ, would you come to him this morning? If you are fighting with your sin, making friends with sin, or, or, or you're just trying to get by and trying to make please God with your own works, you will fall short. Would you come to Christ? He is willing to give you the peace with him. Make no mistake. The Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. Then after this, the judgment. The Bible also says this is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Let us not fall into his hands. Let us recognize that he has given us peace. Would you come today? Number two, he gives us peace with ourselves. Paul writes in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Whatever you're going through this, this, this day, it could be financial problems, emotional problems, relationship problems, work problems. Maybe it's just the, the mental or the, the, the emotional toil of life. I would exhort you this morning to trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. We have that promise, right? That all things work together to good to those that are in Christ Jesus. The boat might be rocking, but Christ is right there. We talked about that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Doesn't matter. Let it be well with our soul. Embrace the peace that comes from being one of God's children. So not only peace with God, we can have peace with ourselves. But thirdly and lastly, is we can have peace with others. That's the peace 
to tools with whom God is well pleased. Ephesians 4, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender heart and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Some of you are, are at, at fear or you're, at, you're, you're troubled because you, you haven't forgiven. You're holding on to bitterness and anger, maybe from years and decades ago. We need to release that. We need to cancel that debt just as Christ has canceled our debt. Who are you to hold on to what God has forgiven and released? Some of you are troubled this morning because of holding on to that which you should let go. Let go with both hands. And let it float away. Let it sink away. Refuse to allow it to come back in your mind. Recognizing that that's Satan's work to attack you. Destroy your marriage. Destroy your relationships. Destroy your life. God has come to give you peace with others. Now, scripture does say in Romans. At must as much as possible live peaceably among others. God knows that there are some people that in your life that you guys are just going to be kind of wired personality wise to just struggle with each other. And if you are, and if God has given that person as your spouse, you married that person, I do counseling. Come on, we'll, we'll help you out there. And sometimes that happens. There are going to be some people, God knows there are going to be some people that it's just going to be difficult. And if God has put some of those people in your life, number one, are you praying for them? It's hard to be mad at people that you pray for. It's hard to be mad at people that you're serving, that you're loving. But be at peace with others. So I'm going to exhort you, please, to offer and give forgiveness as Christ has forgave you with the warning. The Bible says that if you do not forgive others, I will not forgive you. To be honest, as we look at it, one of the marks of someone who's truly a Christian is one who forgives. And we need to be that type of people. As the worship team gets ready to come up, and Randy, I just want to close with Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen? This is the birth announcement to the shepherds. That peace is for those who God is well pleased. I pray that if you have not yet come to him, come to me and I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure whether or not you are in the kingdom of God. We invite you to join. He says, come, come, come and drink for he is one who is willing to give you that peace. And let us enjoy the peace. Let's turn our fear in rejoicing this Christmas season. Let's stand if you would. I'm going, no, you can be seated. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you. I, I, I'm thrown off a little bit here. Randy, come on up and close us with a word of prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.